0: Hey there, and welcome to episode number 46 of Become a Guitarist Today with myself, Adam Roach. Now, in this episode, I talk to Mark Kendall from the band Great White. So they've sold over 10 million albums worldwide. They've had six top 100 Billboard hits, and nine top in the 200 albums, Billboard albums, and two platinum albums. So, yeah, they're doing pretty well. It's a great little interview. We go into all things about... He's playing, his baseball days, and pretty much what the band's up to now with their latest EP called Full Circle. Now, before we go to the interview, don't forget you can check out my website to see who else has been on the podcast. That's at becomeaguitaristtoday.com and check out the, the gallery page and the, the videos of all the people that have been on. Now, also, I'd like to thank my sponsor, Living Music, and Rick and everyone down at the, the store there in Greensboro. Uh, thank you guys once again for all the support for myself and my students. Now I'm also excited to announce that I do have a new sponsor for the podcast as well. It is Custom Qatar Picks. Now Gust at Custom Qatar Picks has been doing my picks for years now. And the quality of the picks are incredible. So I don't, I don't use anything else except for his picks. So make sure you check out his site customguitarpicks.com.au So once you're on the sign you can design your own pick, you can pick the colours, you can do the front and back you can also get pick tins as well, you can pick the the thickness, the the gauge of the picks, so pretty much do everything on site, all you you have to do is upload your image and Gus will set it up to make it look perfect, as you'll see on the, the website. Now I also have a very special discount Starting from tomorrow, which is the 30th of May 2018, until the end of July. So if you go onto the site, order your picks, and when you get to the checkout, type in the code BAGT20, and that will get you 20% off your total price. So make sure you type in BAGT20, that stands for Become A Guitarist Today, and 20% off, B-A-G-20, and get your 20% off all picks from custom guitar picks, and you know, I guarantee you won't be disappointed. Now, let's go over the interview now with Mark Kendall. Hello. Hey, Adam, how you <laughs> good, good, how are you?
1: Awesome, yeah, um, uh, Bill actually got a hold of me from Firehouse and told me about your podcast and everything. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, that was... Bill's
0: a good guy. Yeah, no, he's great. Yeah, um, yeah, I got to jam with him back in nineteen ninety five at the Hard Rock Cafe in Jakarta.
1: Oh, okay. So right on. When,
0: that was how I first met him, and like, you know, kept in contact from there. And yeah, it was good.
1: Sweet man.
0: Yeah, so he was actually my first guest on this podcast.
1: Oh, right on, cool. Yeah.
0: <laughs> all right. Um, so we might as well get into the questions. If that's all right.
1: Okay. Yeah. Sure.
0: No worries. So, but yeah. So if we just start with um, how you very first started and. What made you get into the guitar?
1: Well, you know there was always music in my house when I was a little boy because my my dad was a trumpet player, a jazz trumpet player. So he had gigs, he was in and out, and they had a lot of records called seventy eight records, okay. the real thick ones. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know I'm pretty old now. I, <laughs> I was I'm talking like when I was five years old. So I was always singing along, kind of rocking back and forth, and just. Uh, you know, kind of fascinated by melodies, you mm. know, from the song, the singers. Mm. And I used to sing along, and I'm, my mom, I remember her saying that I, I, I was singing in key, yeah. you know, which usually, if you're five, you probably, you don't have to sing in key, but for some reason, I just heard the music good, you know, and yeah. a lot of that, I think, is because of my mom and dad, you know, they... My mom's a singer, my dad's jazz trumpet, my grandpa played piano like world class. Oh wow. Uh, so, you know, I, I kind of inherited an ear. I got started when I was nine from watching um, a band rehearse. I used to watch them, I'd hear them, and I'd go running over there and look through this little side window in the garage. Yeah. And just kind of watching him, just kind of, you know, blown away by just seeing a live band in a garage, you know. But uh, one time the bass player played with his teeth, and I remember I I almost got hit. I went running across the street to tell my dad, I got to have a guitar. I got to have a guitar. (laughs) And uh, after I seen that teeth action, I go, man, this looks like a lot of fun. And uh, he got me a, a little Spanish acoustic, probably fairly cheap one, you know. Probably to see if I was going to lay it down in a day or maybe get into it.
0: Yeah.
1: So um, I don't think you want to invest too much. And anyways, I don't think I put that thing down for a year. (laughs) (laughs) I I loved it, you know. And a lot of that reason was a lot of my neighbor. I had two neighbors that played guitar and they were, you know, semi-advanced, at least for that time for me. Mm. And they showed me how to play three or four chords, you know. And it seemed like every song had those four chords in it. It's like, I, I learned the lucky chords, you know. And uh, the first song I learned was For Your Love, on, uh, but Yardbird's song. Okay. It's yep. fairly simple. And then I learned Pipeline and Gloria and uh, Secret Agent Man. That's Met a guitar player who was a year older than me in fifth grade. And we jammed together. His, his parents. My, I'm back when I was I was ten at the time. My dad got me an electric guitar and an amp, and uh, and that's when I learned Gloria and all the stuff. And I uh, started playing with him a little bit.
0: Yeah, oh, cool. Yeah, do you remember those first four chords? Was it E A D G or something?
1: Uh yeah, it was uh, E D A and C.
0: Oh, C. Okay.
1: Yeah, that was the, that was the ones I learned. Um, I believe no, it wasn't C. It was G. It was G. Yep. Yeah, it was G. And uh, after that, I learned a couple other chords. But um, I, I just like like songs like uh, Secret Asian Man because it had two guitar parts. So I yep. did the band, you know that part. Yep. And, uh, you know we did Wipeout. Uh, yeah, Pipeline and Gloria. And all of them, apart from Gloria, had two guitar parts. So yeah. I could jam, I jammed in the fourth grade class for the fifth graders. All the fifth graders came in and watched us play. And we ran out of songs pretty quick, because we only knew four. <laughs> <laughs> so while they were leaving, we played Pipeline again.
0: <laughs>
1: so, yeah, that was pretty neat. We you know, we took our amps to school and in the wagon and everything, and... Uh, so yeah, that's how I got started, and yeah. my dad got me three records. He got me, which is pretty to think about it now. For him to get me records this hip, I, I I'm kind of blown away by it in a way. He got me Cream, Disraeli Gears, yep. Jimi Hendrix Experience, and The Doors' Strange Days. Okay, you know, I'm I'm like, you know, not even ten yet, and I have the best records ever. <laughs> That was pretty neat, but again, for some reason, um, when I listened to those songs, even by Hendrix and stuff, for some reason I wasn't latching into the guitar mm. as much as I was singing along. Like I, I liked all the vocal melodies and stuff, yeah. but it didn't take me long to figure out these guys know what they're doing, and <laughs> you know, I'm gonna I better start paying attention to that. You
0: know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, Wipeout, like you suggested before, that's still a song that I give some of my students today. Just even, Uh just that riff, and then you get the chords over the top. Yeah, it's a great little song.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they were sweet songs. I mean, um, Glory was just awesome. Uh, You know, the vocal in that song, Mm. I think it was the Standells or something. It was an old band. Yep. Um, I could even be wrong. But... um, it it was the vocal in that song. It was so simple, you know, yeah. you know, bang, 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 bang and and that part you're still doing the d a d, you know, e e e d a d, very simple. Uh, great songs for a beginner, you, you know, to learn. Yep. Um, I took one guitar lesson my whole life. Oh really? By this guy who was in a surf band behind me, and uh, when I was 11 years old, I went to take a lesson, and he was showing me things that, you know, I guess I should have been more patient. But um, Tom Dooley and you know these little jingles and yeah. stuff. I remember that. I'm into Hendrix, and then I got to deal with this stuff. <laughs> you know, I just. You know, I, like I said, I, I should have been more patient and learned all that because it probably would have helped, helped me, you know. But, you know, I was just an impatient kid. And I wanted to learn other stuff. But, yep. yeah, that was pretty much my only formal lesson. Jeez. My dad kind of encouraged me to, to read music because he, he did sessions and stuff like that. And he could sight read real good. Yep. And even did scores with my grandpa in high school. You, you know they scored the whole bit high school band you know wrote out all their parts and that so he 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 was pretty advanced with all that he, we used to my mom and i used to hit piano notes and he'd be in the other room calling out what it, it and i'm not kidding he was right like 90 percent of the time wow unless we started messing around with the black keys <laughs> then, then he would screw up my mom goes hit the black keys <laughs> he, he doesn't get that right you know but uh Yeah, so, but I really kind of relied on my ear. I can read, but really slow. You know, like, uh, I couldn't go into a session and have somebody just hand me sheet music and play something I've never played before type thing. Yep. So I'm I'm very slow. It'd be equal to a guitar player, like, having to look at both hands before you hit the chord. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, But... I, I encourage up and comers to, to learn theory mm-hmm. you, you know because if you've got an ear and you and you know a lot of theory, you know the ear the ear you can rely on and all that and that's really important but what makes the really super world beating guitar players is they can do both yep in some cases but it, they might be too technical I don't I don't know. Because I, I don't know that Hendrix even read music. I'm not, I'm not sure. I've never really mm. researched that, like how much knowledge a lot of my heroes have as far as uh, theory. Yep I'm not really sure. Like Carlos Santana, he just seems like, who was my hero at 14? But he, he seems more like it's not on paper. It's like he grabs and squeezes notes because he... He just feels that, you know. Yeah. And and, uh, and played some beautiful themes. Uh, I really liked uh, the guitar parts he came up with. I, I kind of find that challenging, you know. Shredders are shredders, and they're badass, and hmm. and their skills are like blow me away. I mean, I, I I don't know how some of these guys are just so phenomenal. But the thing I miss about it, and my dad used when I was probably twelve or thirteen years old, my dad used to take me to these clubs and talk the guys into letting me in and all that because you had to be twenty-one. Yep. But to, so I could see these jazz guys, these real heavy hitter sax players, and you know these guys are badass. But one thing they always did after they did these blazing solos was they went back to a theme, you mm. know, like some kind of a Memorable part, yeah. To where I see some of these shredding guitar players, and that's all they do—they're just one-dimensional. Mm-hmm. It, it's like if I was in a note race with these guys, I'd be I'd be crushed. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but uh, um, so I think to use those skills in more of a dynamic way makes more sense to me. Mm-hmm. Like instead of giving all that stuff away the whole time put in some melody, some sweet notes and something that's going to complement the song and then use your shredding skills for, as a surprise. Yep. You know, it, it'd be like a comedian just saying Fuck every word. Yeah. You know, when he first says it, you kind of go, whoa, you know, mm-hmm. that's a shock word. But if he keeps saying it over and over and over and over, you're like totally over it.
0: Yeah, you know that's I mean? right. Yeah.
1: That's kind of like what I mean by dynamics. It's like, Give me something to remember and then sh- and then st- give me some show off moments. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, for sure. So... years I've just gone from guitar player to guitar player you know I'm like Carl Santana era move over to Johnny Winter go over to Alvin Lee for you know yeah. a year you know and and then here comes Billy Gibbons and you know like Robin Trower you know everybody had their own thing that I kind of liked and, and most of it was that they just seemed very soulful the way they played yep yeah. You know, it wasn't just a, a note race, or they played amazing, had a lot of chops, but the, their placement seemed like felt. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it was they played at that moment because they felt that way, and they felt like this part is really going to be good for this song we just wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. that that those those are the guys that I like. You know, more more focused, but not afraid to try things and I don't know, mm. you know, everybody's great. That's the easy way out. <laughs> yeah. That's
0: it. So growing up, you know, listening to like, especially like Carlos Santana, for example, you know, he used a lot of those like harmonic minor scales and the uh, you know, different, like the faster picking. Um, yeah. because you had no lessons, when you listened to that, would you get that idea and put it into your playing or just,
1: yeah, Absolutely. In fact, I used to uh, go see uh, Return to Forever and bands like that that had, you know, or Jacko Pistorius or, you know, a friend of mine was real into that. And I I started going to watch these guys. And I I mean, I probably ripped off, stole a few things from Al Dumiola for Mm -hmm. sure. You know, a lot of times I can just get one thing and incorporate it in different places on the neck or maybe change a couple things but just get a really great idea off somebody. Yeah. Like I remember I was on Tour with Whitesnake and I used to jam with Vivian Campbell backstage. And and I gave him a compliment. I go, "Dude, your solo is so freaking amazing. I I just it, it, it's it's just sweet the way it's a sweet solo. It's just awesome." And he goes, "Well, first mark he goes, "I only play one lick." And I'm playing it just in different spots of the neck so it sounds like I'm doing all these different things but I'm doing one thing and not only that I got the I stole the lick from Gary Moore okay so I'm not a genius <laughs> I've seen the good times I've seen the bad There were times that luck was all I had.
0: No turning back. You're talking about your your baseball playing days.
1: You know, I pretty much did a lot of things when I, even though I played guitar, I did everything every other kid did, you know. Yep. Played baseball, rode mini bikes, you know, (laughs) creating havoc or whatever. But um, yeah, when I was eight years old, You know, I joined Little League and stuff, and my dad was my coach. And I played until I was 18. My arm was kind of hurting when I was 18. I think I kind of threw it out, not from curveballs, but from fastballs. You know, looking back, I wish I would have worked with lightweights or something, but I, I was just, you know, kind of just... Threw it out to where it kept, it was hurting like after three innings. I, I could throw three innings and my, my arm was killing me. Mm. Um, so I'd have my dad take me out or put me on first base or some other position. But it was disheartening because I wasn't as good as a couple guys on my team. You know, there was people in the league that blew me away, you know, hit more home runs, ran faster, threw harder, you know. And, you know, my dad's dream was for me to be a pro baseball player. I think a lot of that reason is because he didn't make it in music. Mm.
0: He
1: he kind of he kind of chose to take care of his family because literally, in his mid thirties, there was no money in jazz whatsoever, mm. unless you were huge. You know, you had to be very big in a huge band or something, um, like a Buddy Rich or something. If you're going to make money,
0: yeah.
1: Um, So, I guess he figured since he didn't make it, I probably won't either. (laughs) Mm. So, you know, so he he thought my best shot to do something that I love or whatever would be baseball. But, you know, you're 18 years old. I mean, guys get signed to major league deals at 18. And I had no chance of getting signed because, you know, there's no scout out there that's going to come and try to find, you know, a lesser player than... You know two guys on his team so my chances were not not good and plus my arm hurting i was just and i really loved music at that time yeah. I, I was playing you know not in clubs or anything yet but i was playing like at parties i could do i'm going home note for note album Lee. Yeah. you know I, I these guys from uh when i was 16 i could play that song note for note and these guys from Pennsylvania tried to take me back with them. They were out in California looking for a guitar player. And my dad said, okay. <laughs> it was funny because I went and heard them play at a motel and they were just awful. or too busy. Yeah, They were doing everything on demand to where there's no room for me. Unless I played like Pete Townsend or something and just did like chords, you know, <laughs> and just kind of. So I just, you know, I was into more... Uh, Groove orientated stuff, you know, like ZZ Top. Somebody that's gonna lay it down for me and give me room. And these guys, uh, there was no room to play. Yeah. Well, I didn't tell them because I didn't know them. They're quite a bit older than me. They're in their early twenties. They they played for me at a motel. I didn't tell them. I hated them. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know these guys. So I didn't they're gonna kidnap me, beat the shit out of me. <laughs> I didn't know. so I had them. I go, okay, well, I got to get my stuff and everything, you know. And so you got to go to my house. And then I went running in like a chicken. I, I said, uh, I told my mom, if, when those guys knock, tell them I ain't going. <laughs> I, mean, I went and hid in my room. I mean, it's just embarrassing. But uh, oh well. But, anyways, I kind of had a little opportunity there at 16. But
0: yeah,
1: I chose to go full time music at 18.
0: Yeah. So, how did you juggle doing, when you were doing baseball, doing that and guitar? Because I know that a lot of my students now, they always got sports and guitar, you know, it's always a bit of a struggle.
1: So, yeah. So how did you go in that it's time very period? Tough. I mean, it's very tough. i would be very difficult. I mean, if you're a baseball player, I would figure that if you're really talented at that, I doubt you're going to play guitar that good because you mm-hmm. have to dedicate so much time um, in training and all that. Yep that it would be very difficult to play that at a real high level, and then you and then you go out and blow away Eddie Van Halen or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think it, it just doesn't sound reasonable. It doesn't sound, you know. So that was my reason for going for guitar, like, full bore, you know. I was just going to, this is what I want to do. So I kind of moved out and just started getting in bands, playing in clubs and... Um, playing cover songs or whatever, then starting to write our own stuff. You know, then we play on the weekends in Hollywood, just play originals at this one club uh, or a couple of them. The Starwood was one and then the Whiskey was another. We could play just our music, but then we play uh, like Top 40 kind of place, you know, where Mm -hmm. you play five sets. (laughs) And, And on those shows, we would just play cover songs. We played a lot, I mean, the, as much as we could because we wanted to get our name out because mm. we saw Van Halen do that. Yeah. Mm. You know, that we were kind of influenced by their work ethic because they played more than any other band. Mm. But they got paid when they played and we played a lot of free shows. <laughs> yeah. 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 But uh, the idea was, well, what the singer and I were telling each other, let's brainwash people into thinking they're supposed to like us because just they see us so much, you know what I mean? And we were comparing it at one time to a tide commercial. Like it's a form of laundry detergent. And they seem to have at the time more commercials on TV than any other laundry detergent. <laughs> so when you go to the store and you're going to get laundry detergent, you're probably going to get tied, you know? Yeah. And, uh, we said let's do that with our band. Let's play so much that when they see we're playing, they just something just pulls them to the show, <laughs> you know. But uh, and the other idea was put ourselves in a position to maybe get lucky and have somebody in the crowd who, you know like an industry person or or whatever. Mm. So we kind of had that dream, and it actually happened. We can't believe it. A guy, you know, was at an independent. Record label, and saw us one night. He actually saw us two other times. We found out later, but didn't like us. Not really. And this, I called Don Dawkin. Told them, "No, dude, you're missing it. Let me go with you, and mm-hmm. I want to see what you're hearing because I don't think you're hearing this right." Mm-hmm. So the third time he saw us was in Hollywood, and for some reason that night. We played No Doctor by Humble Pie on the encore, and that's what sold them.
0: Wow. <laughs> so, like,
1: if people play that song, it might have changed their whole lives, <laughs> you know? And uh, he gave us his card, you know, said, so come down to the record company tomorrow. And he changed our name that day. We were called Dante Fox, which I know it's a horrible name, but, you know, we kind of just gave up on thinking of names and the bass player came up with that. We go, okay, that's great. That's our name. <laughs> you know, we're so tired of thinking of names, but I guess I, I told the story before, but how, how we came up with our name was after that show, that third time he saw us and gave us his card, he left and went outside uh, waiting for his car. And there was a lot of people outside smoking cigarettes and whatever. And he said, I went driving by. I was in the back seat of a car, I guess, and I stuck my head out the window and screamed something to the crowd. I don't know what I said. <laughs> Whatever. I don't know. I just screamed something. And he said, the kid right next to him said, There goes Great White. Oh well. Yeah. <laughs> and it, it just he said it clicked right there when he said that. He was totally calm. He just said, That's their name. <laughs> so when know. he told us he, he he liked everything except he hated our name we go oh no we gotta think of a name he goes no i already got it yeah. great white we're going yuck <laughs> hated it. because we didn't attach the shark to it yet yeah you know what i mean that came later and once we thought of the shark then we go oh okay the, you know this name works for us now <laughs> but uh it was interesting because We thought he called this. He came up with "Great White" because Jack, my singer, occasionally when I go into a solo, he used to go "Kindle the Great White," you know, because I was so fair-complected, like the whitest guy in the world, right? (laughs) So he called me the Great White for that reason because I was so fair-complected. But um, he said he claimed he never heard that. He just heard that kid point and say that. The kid's the one that probably heard him say that before. So. It wasn't a nickname. It wasn't like I walked around and people were going, Hey, Great White, what's up? You know, uh, it wasn't ever a nickname. It was just occasionally Jack would say that. Obviously that night he didn't, but um, that's where we thought he got the name. But no, he said, you know, it was the kid pointing and saying, There goes Great White.'" So that was interesting.
0: (laughs) I think for the the kid then. So from there, you just pretty much went on with Great White and did big things.
1: Yeah. Um, well, they flew out Michael Wagner from Germany, um, who at the time had done Accept, mm-hmm. a German band. Yep. They had the, a big song, Balls of the Wall.
0: Yeah, I remember that one. And
1: yeah. He'd done, I think, a Doc demo, and he said he used to record live shows. So. The Accept stuff sounded amazing, so obviously he had honed in on his skills and uh, and knew what he was doing. So we did an EP with five songs, and we weren't on a major label. We, we just had this... In fact, the business partners of Alan Niven, who was the guy that went and saw us that night, A&R Man, yep. who became Guns N' Roses manager later, but he... Uh, Oh, what happened was he had two business partners okay. and the business partners had just, and him had just signed Berlin. So they felt like for some reason, they were those kind of people that rock his dad. So we got it. Let's start going in this direction. No. Alan wanted no part of it. He goes, okay, well, if, if you guys don't want to sign these guys, he goes, I'm going to take them on myself and just put out a record on our own label. He goes, I would only ask that you distribute it through Green World, which was their distribution company. Um, Motley Crue had been signed one year before, and they just shipped them off to Electra. And that's kind of what they did. Mm-hmm. They'd sign downs, and then they would get major labels interested. So his business partner didn't want anything to do with us. So we put out this five-song EP, and through his magic and you know I guess he's a great businessman got us on the biggest station in Los Angeles this is unheard of by the way yeah. in every rotation for 16 weeks with one of the songs off the EP well wow. it got so much there was such a huge buzz in in LA with the record labels the big ones mm. you know everybody wanted to sign us just because of that but so, you know, I mean, I, I was in shock that we were on the radio and so was everybody else because it, it's something that's never happened before. Yeah. When you're getting airplay heavy rotation, I mean, you might get on some local show for one play, but there's no way you're in rotation with, with you know, Tom Petty and whoever. You know, yeah. this is crazy, crazy stuff. So... Um, the song became a marginal hit. It was on your knees. Very simple little song, you know. So we got a deal. Then we kept Wagner in the game. We only kept three songs off the EP and re-recorded them, kind of revamped them a little bit, and recorded a full-length album with Michael Wagner. Yeah. So that's how things got started.
0: Fantastic. That's great. And we went
1: over with uh, Whitesnake in the U.K., for I don't know, we played probably 20 shows, and then we went on tour with Judas Priest in the in uh, the states.
0: Yeah,
1: that was pretty. It's pretty amazing because you know you grind it out in the clubs for so many years, but then it, the transition into arenas, it, it just seems like it ha- everything happens fast, and you're just all of a sudden you're there. Like, but it trust me. We didn't have to get lucky like that, but I, I can tell you, we worked so hard. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I mean, you know, slinging around our own equipment and the, uh, you know, trucks and playing clubs and backyards and anywhere we could. Mm. Uh, for so long, it, it was just, it was such a relief to finally have something go our way. <laughs> <You> <laughs> yeah. That's so pretty amazing.
0: Actually you were on um one of my favourite podcasts I listened to Joe Rogan when you were on there was a couple, oh, yeah. few years ago. Joe Rogan. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Sure.
0: Um and I remember you were talking about how like you know, playing in front of whatever, three hundred thousand people compared to playing in front of just like a maybe ten people. The difference in um you know, maybe getting yeah. a little bit nervous. I remember when I used to do exams. Exactly the same thing. Playing for uh-huh. two people and it's like start to shake up a bit, you know. <laughs> But in front of a lot of people, just the nerves yeah. go. So you still feel that way?
1: Yeah, I just feel you know, like when we play in front of 150,000 people or whatever, it's almost like you're removed from the audience. Like you're just you're just playing. I mean, you're rocking it out and you're getting into it, but it, it just seems, I, I, for some reason, I, I'm not a nervous. I'm not that nervous in that situation. Yeah, I'm more nervous anticipating it. Than I am when I'm on stage, yeah. but yeah, like like you said, uh, small instrument, little crowds, like 10 people in your living room, and I got to play my acoustic. That 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 drives me crazy. I, I'm just not into that. Yeah. I, I one time I played at a church. I wrote this song, and man, I'd never been so nervous. Not not so much a nervous wreck, but just not comfortable. You know, yeah, yeah. I just didn't feel that comfortable, but I, it was fine once I started playing, but yeah, yeah. I don't know. I remember playing a, a wedding one time with uh, Michael Anthony from Van Halen. Oh, yeah. yeah. We played a wedding, and man, that was a nervous thing. There was only about 30 people probably, yeah. this like outdoor patio type thing, and they're all really close to us. That was kind of a
0: nightmare. Now, just fast forwarding a little bit to where you are now. In the, the new album, or newish album, Full Circle. Yeah. Um, so, did you write most of the songs on that? You and, and Michael, is it?
1: Um, you know, I had a lot of ideas, uh, but we, we it was really a group effort in a way because we all worked together. No matter whose idea, like it was more like sharing ideas. Like, what do you got? And oh, I got this this thing. Mm. I, I had, um, I think. A few things kind of all done, but they, they would get changed. Well, what about trying this one? You know, we just sat around with acoustic guitars, yep. figure out things. and, and uh, But we pretty much, I mean, I had a lot of ideas on my phone. I used to use micro cassettes, now I use my phone. And everybody else was kind of writing on their own. So we just got together for like four days. This little kitchen area. Audie had his little uh, electronic thing and we were just sorting through through our ideas, so we felt like we had some stuff, so then we got into a rehearsal room, but we really pushed it close to the recording. Hmm. Uh, we did all this in about 10 days, and we had to beat Wagner's, and we didn't have lyrics. <laughs> so, he, he doesn't work that way, but yeah. we didn't tell him until we got there, <laughs> and uh, you know, his routine is, he goes out where the band is, and they rehearse for like a week or two. Yeah. And he, he fixes other parts, and then they do a demo. You know, it doesn't have to be super quality, just so he can hear everything. Yeah. And then he works on the songs for a couple months. You know, that's his routine.
0: Yeah.
1: We came in there with arrangements not quite done, you know, a few chorus ideas, but lyrics not even done. <laughs> and. He goes, well, when were you gonna write the lyrics? And I goes, we'll write them, you know, here.
0: Yeah.
1: And he, okay. But luckily what made it easier easier for us was he records one song at a time after you do the basic tracks. Okay. You know, we do the drums and bass. When that's done, then we we do we do everything on one song.
0: Yep.
1: You know, until it's finished and then go to the next song. We knew in advance what song we're working on the next day. Okay. So we rented a house there for a couple months and, and uh so we could go back and I'll sit around come up with lyrics for the next day.
0: Yeah. So
1: we just we finally handed him a lyric sheet. he was thrilled. <laughs> you
0: know. <Yeah.
1: laughs> he was a little nervous because like I said, he, he's used to be dance being more prepared. Yeah, yeah. But we've done it so often like that, you know, just uh, the album prior to that, we had no music at all. We just went in the studio and, you know, kind of just wrote all day. And by the evening we had something yeah. and, and then uh, came in the next day and uh, it had a lot of lyrics, we, 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 you know, melodies and everything. So we just worked like that for a month and we had an album. But we were more prepared, but he, he really likes it prepared. But once we finished a song or two, then he was breathing easy. He goes, "Okay, I can see you guys going can, you yeah. can't do it this way."
0: Yeah. So, yeah, awesome. it was fun. Yeah, great songs on here though. Like, the ones that really stood out for me was uh, "I'm Alright." Uh-huh. That just a, the great you know, catchy chorus and the, the harmonies and everything. Yeah, you know, really cool riffs. Right on. This is, this is Life, because at that yeah. rock riff. And even the, the funky one, is it Give It Up? It's got that little percussive
1: yeah.
0: guitar thing at the start, which is really cool as well. Thank
1: yeah. you, man. Then Appreciate also
0: it. Also, the single, yeah, big time.
1: So we're, it, we're actually putting out I'm Alright next.
0: I'm ah, Alright's
1: coming
0: out. I was just going to ask you that. We're <laughs> doing a video
1: right around the corner. We're going to do a vid- video with you. Yeah, I have a few shows getting in the way of that, but after these next couple shows, I think we're going to start coming up with uh, stuff to do. We got an idea how we want to do it. Yeah, that that should be good. Uh, the guitars are real. I like the guitars in there. Do you like the guitars? Yeah. Uh, it's, the rhythms are yes. real, real crunchy and killer. This is the first time I've ever, ever done this, but uh, I used a Kemper on this album. Okay. I don't know if you're familiar. Yeah. Kemper? Yep. yep. I never used the camper before. Oh, right. I, I plug into amp, turn it up that way. Yeah, yeah. But I was really happy with the camper.
0: I actually had in my notes about that song, I'm All Right, saying that that should be your next single. So It's funny you should say that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll do really well.
1: Yeah, I'm All Right. I'm glad you like that because you yeah. know, it's kind of fighting around. But that rocks, you know, and uh, it, it's got some good reviews and stuff. So, yeah, yeah. That, I, I think that's the song. That's why we put it first on the record. Yep. We were going to put that first. I mean, there's no way we're going to put our first single eighth on the record if yeah. we thought it was going to be a single. Yeah. What happened was we played it for a lot of friends um, and even some fans, you know, just kind of local, and just played it for about 60 people. And they kept saying, big time, man, that's classic great white, big time, big time. Yeah. So we go, oh, man, well, let's just listen to these guys for once, you know. <laughs> we'll put out, I'm all right, next. Yeah. And so we did that <laughs>
0: I guess the last thing is, just want to ask you about what we can expect from you guys in 2018.
1: Actually, I'm hoping we're going to get to your neck of the woods. Oh, really? It's being talked about, yeah. Um, we're trying to set up a proper tour starting in November, just all over Europe. We want to go to South America, Australia. You know, We want to try to uh, cover some ground and you know, for a couple months. Great. We haven't done that for a long time.
0: Excellent. That'd be really good.
1: Uh, the problem... With it is the financial, financially. Yeah. Because yeah. back in the day, you know, we would almost break even on tours, but we were fine because we sold so much merchandise every night playing arenas every single, you know, five yeah. nights a week. Yeah. You know, we're doing, you know, uh, I don't know, three bucks a head or whatever, you know, like 30,000, maybe we'd make a night. And then, you know, selling millions of records. Yeah. So, so what yeah. if if we break even on the tour, we're still fine. But now, if you break even, you go home with a dollar ninety eight. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, but if it ends up okay, if we can play a couple festivals or a couple bigger shows, you know, mm. and not just play clubs, um, but we really want to do it, even if we just make a little bit of money. Um, we really want to get over there for the fans cuz they are really barking loud, you know. When are you going to play here and when you, you know. <laughs> so we really want to, we really want to play, you know, Germany and do a few shows there, a few shows around the UK, just, you know, maybe yeah. Italy, Spain, and then I, I want to go to, so I've always wanted to play Australia cuz I've never played there. Yep. Yeah. Um, I, and I don't know why we haven't played there, but um I think it'd be cool because we've never played there, so hopefully we still got some fans left over there, and uh, yeah, (laughs) go do a a, a nice show for everybody. Yeah, yeah, right on now. No, that'd be excellent. So, you play guitar?
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm a yeah, I'm a guitar teacher and play guitar as well in bands. Yeah, actually, there's another one we really want to try and get down to Australia, Firehouse, and it seems like a lot of those. And warrants. I interviewed um, Joey last week, Joey Allen from uh warrants oh and he was saying the same thing yeah he really wants to come down as well so maybe they can try and organize a big festival you guys firehouse warrants
1: if we could do some kind of a package that map for two yeah didn't billy Sheehan go down there uh next week mr big
0: yeah mr big and extreme are playing together
1: okay that's what it is yeah because i just saw on his uh Instagram he was talking about doing like eight shows somewhere I thought he said Australia yeah, yeah. Uh, that's pretty cool man
0: yeah now I'm going to that one so no, it should be good
1: right Adam. hey thank you man nice
0: talking to you buddy right,
1: see you then see you later bye bye hey this is Mark Kendall from Great White and you're listening to Become a Guitar Player Today podcast now see this
0: so I hope you guys enjoyed the interview. Yeah, it was really good to talk to Mark and find out all about the things that he has done. And yeah, again, like I said in the interview, he was on one of my favorite podcasts, Joe Rogan Podcast. And that's what inspired me to get into doing podcasting by listening to the Joe Rogan podcast and then thinking at the same time, this would be great to do. So so it was great actually to meet someone that had been on the, the Joe Rogan podcast and you know, talk about that as well. Now, make sure you tune in next week for my interview with Lance Turner from the band Atomic Punks, which is one of America's top Van Halen tribute bands. Lance gives a great insight to what it's like to be living in the footsteps of Eddie Van Halen and playing his songs. And actually, he's got a lot of other projects on as well, a lot of other tribute bands. And he also, towards the end of the interview, he gives an exclusive little announcement that um, I believe hasn't been said before. So make sure you listen out for that one. So, until next week, keep jamming.